Waveform Magazine is a free print publication that focuses on synthesizers and those who inhabit that world. Issue number one is due out in April 2019 and features interviews with Suzanne Ciani, Dave Smith, Folk Tech, with articles written by Div Kid, Abe from AI Synthesis, and more. There are also plenty of gear reviews, music reviews, and a shop talk section where we get to know about those who run our beloved synth shops. Sign up for your free subscription at www.waveformagazine.com and follow them on Instagram. Pod Mod Bods, welcome back to another episode of Podular Modcast. Um, today's guest is Jason Degelman, aka Donald Crunk. He is a uh, kind of a staple of the Seattle modular scene. He's uh, it's one of my favorite performers, and it's uh, a really super nice guy. And it's uh, it's kind of amazing that it took this long for us to get together to do an episode, but a good episode it is. Today's episode is brought to you by Patchworks, which is our local synth shop, which is heavily focused on community and education. They do all sorts of fun events, including a a soldering workshop where you can bring your DIY kits in, your broken gear, and have an expert help you figure it out and uh, just, you know, do projects with other DIY aficionados. Um, if you would like to support Patchworks and you're not in the Seattle area, please visit their website, P-A-T-C-H-W-E-R-K-S.com. Uh, excellent selection of modular and other synth gear. And uh, yeah, it's always nice to support a good brick and mortar shop. Want to take a minute to tell you about one of our new sponsors, After Later Audio. After Later Audio is a boutique audio company located in Seattle, Washington. With roots in the Chicago house scene of the 1990s, they have been restoring vintage audio gear since 2005 and have now found a home in the world of Eurorack. Each module is built with an attention to detail that guarantees the highest quality, and you can feel the difference when you uh, when you turn the knobs. Their panel options are sleek, custom designs, and multiple finishes, so you can choose the look that will best fit your rack layout. Modules are available on their website, afterlateraudio.com, and other e-commerce sites. They have uh, happy customers on five continents, which is reflected in their online reviews. If you would like to follow what they're up to, check out their Instagram, uh, where you can get a glimpse into the the lives of the modular builders. I personally have the uh, the nano rings and the uh, the knit, which is the micro uh, plats. And this track that you hear below this ad, I actually made with those two modules. So um, the the nano rings is eight HP and the knit is six HP. So these things are very nice if uh, if real estate is something that you are concerned with in your uh, your rack setup. So again, check out afterlateraudio.com. This track that you hear below me is called Crystal Summer uh, by Benjamin Mock, M A U C H, uh, off the album Discorp- Discoporeal. Um, I can never say that, but it's a cool name. Um, and this is from Flag Day Recordings, which is a really cool record uh, label that sent me a care package when I mentioned that I was sick on Instagram. So it's been really cool to get to know their catalog, and I highly recommend going to check it out. Uh, Flag Day Record, excuse me, Flag Day Recordings on Bandcamp. 
So I'm recording this intro pretty uh, far in advance of when this will be actually be released. It will be released while I am in New Orleans on vacation, and uh, I actually haven't left yet. So as far as like uh, the, the community connections uh, segment of the show, I, uh, I don't have any to give you because, uh, yeah, I did them all last week. So... But if you want to find other people in your area to try to build a modular community or uh, other people to jam with or whatever, hit me up and I'll mention you on the show and we'll try to get you guys connected. Really quick, I want to thank all the Patreon subscribers. You guys are uh, really helping out. It's been cool to interact with you all. And uh, yeah, just just very much appreciate it. If you would like to be a Patreon subscriber, go to uh, patreon.com forward slash podular modcast. So yeah, this will be a little bit of a change of pace. It'll be quite a, uh, a shorter intro than we're used to, but um, that's okay. We'll get straight into this talk. But first, let's check out a demo of the Disting Mark IV from Expert Sleepers. All right, let's look at one of my favorite algorithms from the Disting Mark IV by Expert Sleepers. It's the sidechain compression algorithm. Uh, sidechain compression can be used in a lot of ways. It's very commonly used to uh, duck maybe the baseline or even the entire mix every time a kick drum ha- uh, hits. It's uh, pretty common in like house music, like dead mouse type stuff. It gives it a very like swelling thing. Um, I personally like to use it as an after effect, like after uh, reverb and delay to um, kind of warble or duck out those tails. So let's check this out. Let's use the nano rings by After Later Audio. Let's bring the odd output into the AI Synthesis 006 stomp box adapter, and then into the transmitter by Earthquaker Devices. So that sounds pretty neat. Now we're running that into channel X of the Disting Mark IV. I do not have the sidechain compression enabled yet. Now let's bring the even output from the nano rings into the 4MS dual looping delay. We're running that into the Y input of the Disting. So that already sounds pretty cool, but let's engage the sidechain compressor. Compressor. Um, I've got the Maths Channel 1 coming out with a, a, a slow rise time and a very quick fall time. So let's put that into it. It's pretty subtle, but it's very effective. All right, let's try feeding it some more signals. Let's just do a simple clock pulse into the input of the sidechain compressor. That's pretty cool. Now onto my favorite way to use it, um, an LFO going into the Z input of the Mark IV disting is very fun to use, so let's do that. So a slow sine wave LFO right now is controlling it. Now let's mess with the LFO time. It's almost like a tremolo effect. (laughs) 
What's really cool about this uh, algorithm is there are five different parameters um, that you can get into to uh, mess with your typical um, compression uh, parameters. You've got threshold, attack time, release time, makeup gain, look ahead, and compression ratio. So depending on what kind of signal you're sitting into, sending into it, um, you're going to dial those in to get the most effective results. I find that the uh, the default settings on it are actually spot on for what I uh, typically do. expertsleepers.co.uk to learn more about the Disting Mark IV and the other great modules they make. Like, like they, like, like, like Minnesota yeah, style? Yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> like people, your, your ancestor, your, uh, your family from Minnesota, if they exist, would say Daigleman. Right. No, like the pure, like I'm from Peoria, Illinois and the Peoria, there's like a specific Peoria accent that vaudeville made famous in like the 20s uh-huh. and it's that see how you doing thing no, like really? like <laughs> that was like called a peoria a peoria way of speaking uh-huh i was uh, actually i was wondering about that um not that long ago i was like where did the like hey see like why did why did people talk like that in movies apparently but, it's because of the limitations of recording technology at the time that uh-huh. allowed for clear enunciation if you were like talking really ridiculous like i don't think regular people talk like that <laughs> that's what i was wondering. i don't know yeah. though like are the only records that survive are those uh-huh movies <laughs> so we don't we'll never know oh okay well what led to that that discussion was how to say Jason's last name, Jason Degelman, a.k.a. Donald Crunk. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. This has been way too long in the making. I feel like we've, we've been trying, but like it's, it's really... It, you figured it would be easier for me to get my Seattle friends <laughs> on the show, but it's actually been harder. And Seattle I is, is like so hard to just get get things happening in sometimes mm-hmm. like just the distances and the traffic involved and yeah. like in everyone's schedule if you're if you can even survive to live here yeah it's kind of like it's kind of nuts well you were you were working two jobs and having you know and have uh, a family you have a kid and everything you have sure. one, one kid right i do i have one i oh. have a five-year-old named arthur and uh i have a wife named samantha and i love them both very much and uh that yeah that you know, that has to be like number one yeah, priority for sure. for sure. And you do that and, uh, you do your day job if you have one mm-hmm. and that pays the bills. And then sometimes you can do like a, a fun job on the side or some project on the side. And so, yeah, I worked at Patrick's for about a year and a half. Uh-huh. It's like my side job here. Yeah. And that was I, like a love of the game thing kind of. Absolutely. It? Yeah. yeah. I, I just really wanted to get in and kind of, uh, get to know the scene better, like just get to know, different people and i'm really passionate about uh like education and talking to people about uh, different things you can do with synthesizers Mm -hmm. so like that yeah that was great and i a long time ago i worked at a guitar center when i was when i was like pretty pretty young pretty fresh out of high school i've heard that's hellish (laughs) (laughs) yeah it was we like actually like opened the store so it was like 
you know, it was very like Apple esque when they when they open a store. They uh-huh. line up people and like high five you as you're running out. Oh, it's, shit. it's kinda like <laughs> kinda crazy. Um but yeah, I worked in like the synth department there and but that was in an era when synthesizers were very much dominated by workstations and mm-hmm. like the Core Triton and the Roland Phantom and, yeah. and those. And Motif. so I was really passionate about analog style synthesizers and they're just there weren't too many out at that time mm-hmm. and there certainly weren't any in our store. Right. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's been amazing to like go from that, that era of like the, you know, mid two thousands to like now when everything in the store has got knobs on it and those workstations are like kind of in the back corner getting dusty, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's a I've, paradise now. I've talked to people about this before on the show, but I haven't asked the question in a while and, uh, I'd like to hear your take on it. So sorry, guest. Or sorry, listener, if this is repetitive, but um, why do you think that shift back to analog and hands-on happened? Because, uh, like you said, it definitely went very much in the box for a long time. Soft, soft synths yeah. were the kind of. Main I think thing. the biggest drive was sort of the collapse of the music industry in general, and that you know, these like workstations and tools like that; those are really the tools you need to get music done quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the there's sort of like stopped being an incentive to do that when you know after the economy collapsed 2008 or whatever whatever you want to put a put a uh, a finger on when it happened um and i think generally everyone kind of shifted to a more hobbyist mindset to say like uh i just want to have fun doing this mm-hmm. instead of like trying to you know make beats and make a living out of that or make soundtracks and make a living out of that Obviously, people are still doing that, but uh, I think a lot fewer people are doing that successfully nowadays. And more people like us want to just have fun and um, enjoy the time that we're spending making music. I totally agreed. And I feel like maybe that is why everybody says, and, and it's true, that... the the, like a modular scene is always the warmest and more welcome. And you feel like, like I wasn't as nearly as afraid to do my first modular set because I knew it was like, Oh, everybody's done. You know, everybody kind of was just so enthusiastic about it. And I think going back to what you just said, this is kind of like a connect there is, um, there's there's not really much rock star no, ego shit going because, on in well, it, like, which is awesome. The, why? Like, there's no incentive for that. Yeah. No one's no, no one's making that much money doing. Like, there's a few people making a bunch of money doing this, yeah. but like a lot of them are working sort of through the industry to sell more modules. Yeah, yeah. There's very few people that are just generating money off of their music that they make with this stuff. So it's yeah, it's just it's it's almost uh, it almost frees you in a way from that from that whole world. And you yeah. you played in bands, so yeah. you know how how it is to like have the other band sort of folding their arms and staring at you from the corner while totally. you play your game. Uh-huh, totally. <laughs> it's a different vibe. Yeah. Like now it's like when you show up, like I, although this hasn't been this, the case recently in the Seattle scene, which I want to get to in a second, but you know, you show up and usually you, you're playing to the other bands and the friends of the other bands. Like sure. if you're, if you're out playing a gig as a band, um, but the bands I noticed didn't they didn't watch each other. Mm. <laughs> they didn't like, you know, it was like if there was a, a quote unquote green room, which was usually just a fucking had a you know a piss mop bucket in it yeah. and a warm case of Rainier or something. Um, you know, everybody'd be hanging, and myself included. And that's something that like one of the reasons I got out of kind of the whole like I my I was in a band and I wanted it to be. I mean, for lack of a 
cooler sounding endeavor. I wanted to be a rock star, mm-hmm. you know, from since I was 12 years old. Sure. And, um, I'm glad I didn't get my wish as a young, a youngster, you know, <laughs> like, yeah, uh, but well, like what you, you gotta like, look at how that, I guess maybe has evolved to where we are now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I, yeah, the rock stars, I always think of the rock stars in our synthesizer world as like the manufacturers, like right, they're yeah, the rock yeah. stars. Uh-huh. Same here. And then you've got like the consumers, which are all of us <laughs> and we're taking the place of the people that used to buy records and stuff. We're yeah, buying modules totally. instead. And, uh, we're making music and, and like, and it pretty much ends there, but Uh we're making music for each other and having a good time. Right. And, uh, so yeah, it's, it's it's like a little bit, maybe a little bit different dynamic than traditional rock. Well, I think, I think it's kind of almost like I hear comedians talk about how, how much, how much more friendly just being like the community of comedians is now because, you know, back in the day, you're gunning for, you know, that one sitcom, you know, like maybe four, well, maybe four comics could get a sitcom yeah. and then, you know, one person becomes Jay Leno. So there was right. so many people can like, and now there's just so much more content. There's not as much competition over it. And I think it's kind of like that in the sense, like what you were just ta- like talking about, like there really is no like rock star in this world. And yeah. there's, there's no, there's no path to that. There's, I mean like Richard Devine, maybe, is somebody you would think right. of, but like, I've never talked to him, but I've interacted with him on, on, and I see how he interacts with other people. Seems like a perfectly nice sure. guy. Everybody <laughs> I've met, that's, dude. yeah. So I don't know. We're kind of we're kind of rambling. Or I'm <laughs> rambling now. Um, Synthesizer oriented, yeah. So I'm I'm curious to see what you think about. You know, you said you were you worked at um, Guitar Center and then in the Patchworks, and you wanted to get into the scene more. Like, since you started at Patchworks or a little before to now what has that been like for you to see like what 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 is what has happened to the scene from your vantage point yeah um so like my first experience with the scene here is like i moved here from illinois and i showed up and i had known i knew some people from like the old school sort of seattle synthesizer world Mm -hmm. and i hung out with those people when i got here and i was just like what's going on you know what what's happening and then there's like yeah not not so much right now and then um bradley put on the first modular on the spot and I, I was like the very first person to show up at Gasworks Park for that event. <laughs> and I walked in and I walked out to the park and there's like no one there yet. And then I saw like one guy in the distance wearing a synthesizer shirt and it turned out to be, um, Nick Santos. I don't know uh-huh, if you know yeah. him, but, uh, I'm just like, Oh, my people, <laughs> like there's, there's people here that I can talk to finally. And I went over and I like assumed Nick was playing because he was there super early. Uh-huh. And I started, we like chatted for a little while and then I found out like, no, he's just here to see the event. He uh-huh. just showed up two hours early to see the show. Oh, that's awesome. And I'm like, oh, wow. We have like, that's, that's really awesome. So, you know, and then that, that ended up being a great show. And I think it kicked off like the synth, my experience in the synth scene here very well. And, uh, since then, yeah, there's just been like, you know, Patchworks grew into like a, a, a great store. Um, Molly had a lot of events at Makito that mm-hmm. were just really amazing for the community. And then all these modular on the spots that have happened now on the modular nights. Uh, definitely have seen um, the interest grow as far as like what, what everyone's doing. Mm-hmm. I think I've seen the people that started strong, like got stronger. <laughs> yeah. So there's a benefit to like, you know, doing this, being in the scene um and and putting work into it like 
I think the people that have really done that have done well. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and everyone's been super open and super friendly and relatively drama free. Like yeah. the whole scene has mm-hmm. been compared to a lot of other cities. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it's, it's really crazy how much it's grown. I, you know, like when I go into the modular nights, it's like the room is like, I can't get in the door and I'm yeah. just like, what is going on? Which is crazy. A, that it, it starts at 4.30 p.m. Right. And B, it's a, it's a modular show. Right. Like, it's electronic music. And C, it's, it's Seattle. And I think a lot of people think about Seattle as a music town. And there is a lot of music. A lot of people are in bands, and there's a lot of live venues. But I don't, I, I don't know. Maybe I was in the right places. But I've, I've, up until this, I haven't felt like a strong community thing where people are just like i'm that's something i go to like Mm. i go to like if there's a module like these modular nights being packed out is is the first time i've seen anything like this in all the scenes that i've been in yeah it's just yeah crazy i can't and i think like it's just the perfect storm of of having a regular event Mm -hmm. having something that is pretty like kind of hot and upcoming right now which Mm -hmm. is modular synthesizers in general and uh having a really open and supportive scene that values diversity values like um giving everyone a shot to make the music they want Mm -hmm. to make and uh yeah i think that's that's driving it i you can't say enough about like bradley and josh you know they're really really open people and really friendly and they've they've uh helped to really bring people into the fold Mm -hmm. i guess you would say yeah i just i can't i can't speak like high enough about either of those guys it's funny they're 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 so different as individuals Mm -hmm. um but the the main like through line and the common thread that they really have is just like true love for the game absolutely they're they're they've both spent money on this they're not making money off of this um they just they just love it so much and they and they've provided all of us with such a cool like i view i view mots and patchworks as like these two things that have just provided so much Mm-hmm. for us as a community to like congeal around or whatever. Yeah. It's kind absolutely. of a gross word, but <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's, it's, it's true. Like you need, you need the equipment and you need the the place to use it. And yeah. Then, like those two institutions have provided those, those items. So you, I don't, I don't know how to say this without, uh, I don't, I don't like being complimented too highly and I don't want to seem sycophantic, but you have a little <laughs> bit of a reputation. Like you ask around town, you know, who's, who's the person to watch perform live at these modular on the spots. And I, w- I would venture a guess that 90% of people would say, gotta see Donald Crunk. Oh, um, thank you. and I gotta say my, my wife even says that, um, which <laughs> I, I can't even get mad at because I say the same thing. So, <laughs> <I appreciate that. laughs> um, and something that I've always, I've noticed about your setups and especially your setup today, I want to take a picture of it. And so go to, go to my Instagram listener and see the tiny setup that he brought. Um, <laughs> but in general, what you can pull out of what is your, what is your normal gigging case? One Oh four, one Oh four by, by seven U seven. Yeah. That's okay. like a one year row in there. I've seen you pull shit out of that, that I'm just like, like I've had to walk up and just look at what you're doing and it still doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> so I guess, um, do you have any do you have any like kind of tips or tricks or philosophy like patching philosophies that you stick to that kind of help you build a live set? Yeah, um I, I so like 
this has changed over time. Um, as I've gotten into sort of the engineering world as a day job, I've learned how to structure things from a higher level a little bit better. Mm -hmm. So I think I took some of that knowledge and applied it to kind of building out a live set. And I always just start with the high level. Like, how long do I want to play? How many little pieces of music do I want to express in that time? Mm -hmm. And so that usually works out to like, you know, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, three or four <laughs> different kind yeah, of distinct yeah. compositions that I want to do. And then I, and then, yeah, it's just sort of that, that mindset and that objective drives the gear that I, that I want to use for that particular show, I guess. Um, as far as patching philosophies, like I, I, you know, I have a certain like sound that I like that's very kind of driven by, uh, minimalism and that like mid 20th century thing and what Laurie Spiegel was doing mm -hmm. and, and some of those artists. And so like, I like a lot of like steppy sequences and stuff like that. And so um, I use a lot of modules like ASRs, uh, quantization of various signals in the Iraq world, like LFOs, and I use DC mixers a lot to mix signals together before quantization. So you can get kind of a lot of like variation in your sequence. I guess that's that's a big thing for me is like I like a lot of variation in my sequences. So you're you're building sequences out of out of control voltages that aren't coming from sequencers to I used to do that most of the time. And okay, then I and then okay. I ended up getting a Stilson Hammer Mark II, uh -huh, which is a very different kind of sequencer. It's a very deliberate like all-in-one sequencer. Mm -hmm. But it had a lot of the things that I was doing post sequencer pre-quantizer built into it. So like a lot of the the kind of transposing and the kind of like uh variation of of CV, I can just like assign those to a couple knobs on the Stilson hammer mm -hmm. and get that same result with okay. a more convenient setup because it keeps like my oscillators in tune a little bit better. Okay. So I, it's the same ideas, but it's just expressed with one sequencer in that case. Um, but yeah, I, I think I lean a lot on, on, um, on the sequencing and control side, much more so than audio processing and stuff like that, which is, I think, different and maybe similar to what some other people are doing. But mm -hmm. I, yeah, I, I use a lot of like really basic kind of signal flows for audio. Okay. Um, but the, a lot of more complex control stuff. Yeah. That's one thing I've noticed is when I do come and try to peek over your shoulder, what you're doing something that has, has always stuck out. It's almost the first thing that I, I think when I see um, your patch is, you, if you didn't see what you were doing and you imagined what you thought your synth looked like, you would imagine a fucking giant oh. bushel of quotes. But you don't, <laughs> you don't seem to have that many like for what's going on that many patch patch points, which I find to be really interesting as well. Yeah, there's some like normalization like happening behind the scenes for mm -hmm. some things, but uh, like the DPO and the Rex mix normalize together, and so mm -hmm. I, I use that combo quite a bit. But um, I see. I I I think sometimes my patches get too dense, and so I I like I, I'm always worried about that. Like I'm like, oh, there's too much going on. I need to like pull some cables and like simplify it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't uh, I don't know if there's a specific trick. Oh, I guess the specific thing I would say is that I use a lot of utility modules, uh -huh. uh, and that's like something I don't know if I see a a ton in the Euro rack world. Like you've got a lot of beautiful utility modules in your system, but in, in like less experienced users systems, I see fewer utility modules and th those are like such helpful modules. They're such yeah. great ways to, to, 
to multiply the power of your system. Yeah, I think those. I think, I think you're absolutely right. And I'm actually when I look at my setup, I'm like, I have too many voices. I need more utility. <laughs> um, and I think the reason that is is because when you're getting into it, there's definitely like this like feverish thing about I need to get a setup now. And uh-huh. um, until you really wrapped your head around like what you want out of it and and what kind of synthesis you're gonna be. Utility modules are just so boring. They are. Before you know, but then they become the most exciting thing. Like yeah. You were just telling me about marbles. I wasn't even really sure what marbles did, but then <laughs> after you told me what it was, I was like, oh, I want one of those. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's, but like even mar- marbles is actually a great example because it has all these awesome inputs that, that affect the sequencer in different way, the internal sequencer in different ways. None of those inputs have attenuators on them. Mm. So in order to like get, you know, like really hone in on a value you want to, you need utilities. Yeah. You, need, you need that. You, that it, you can't just jack a full range voltage in there and expect it to do like a really well-restrained, nice thing. Mm-hmm. It's going to be just full range. <laughs> yeah. Top and bottom. That's so. something. Yeah. The, 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 the attenuator thing is something that I've, I've really actually, you're kind of uh you kind of gave me my first taste of attenuator. Oh, I knew right. I needed one, and you, you've like have your own little. Uh, I don't know what did you, you design like a circuit board for a basic passive attenuator? Yeah, um, I designed some. I designed some modules uh-huh. um, and uh, prototyped them. And that project, I didn't. I didn't really go any further with the module project. Mm-hmm. I guess for various reasons, but I've ported those designs into the one U world a little bit. Okay. So that's what I use in my like larger synth. I have a bunch of my own custom one U. I love that faceplate design that you made. Like the, oh, it was yeah, really little, cool like looking. The, it's like purple and gold kind of. Yeah. That's just the, the prototype house I use uses purple panels, but the, uh, I like the gold. I think that's, I think gold is great. Color. Yeah. I actually just gave, uh, my, my best friend who I grew up with making music and being in bands with, um, I know I know how much he would love getting into modular, but he he won't spend the money on it because you know he's not that he doesn't. I I basically have the idea like you don't know what you're missing out on yet. So mm-hmm. I've been slowly building him a case. Nice, and I just gave him an 84 HP. Thing oh wow, of almost it's almost useless because I I kind of got too excited. Like the only clock he has, he just has two looping ADSRs, and that's all he has okay. to make a make a clock. Um, but I gave him that attenuator. Um, nice. That's why I brought that up. But yeah. Yes, I feel really good about trying to get him into it. I'm just like, I'm trying to push him to buy a clock and a sequencer because once he has those two things, he's gonna, it's gonna blow up his mind and he's gonna have a lot of fun with it. SQ1 might be. That's what I, I was telling him. Or, that to people. He's he's really into um he's really into soft sense too. So I'm mm. almost thinking like maybe an ES8 with something like Odulus or sure. or a, um, what's the Beats Beatstep Pro. Oh cool. yeah, totally. Why did I go off on that tangent? <laughs> You're um, talking about uh, utilities in general. Yeah. yeah. So what I found is I, I most I guess that was a long way to go for nothing. But I <laughs> <laughs> I find that I I really like having uh, attenuators built onto the modules, like with Max. Yeah. Like I very rarely use the the regular unattenuating version of output oh, okay, one the or full four. range outputs. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's so like. That's super nice. That's I think that's the expectation for most modern modules is that they have attenuators built into them for the important inputs. Mm-hmm. Or like for instance with Mass, there's there's an attenuator on the output, which is I think a little bit more rare. But yeah. uh Mass has it. So yeah, um but some modules don't have those. And especially a lot of older modules don't have those. Mm-hmm. And if you want to explore the world of cheaper Eurorack modules, 
uh, I think utility modules and like older modules are great. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it can save you a lot of money, but yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm still, I'm kind of in between like, like we were talking before, I guess we got recording as I'm trying to make one Oh four six U work for me. Um, but I'm finding myself not quite there. It's hard. It's like, yeah, you got to really balance what you want as far as voices and sequencing and like how many voices you expect, mm-hmm. I think. And I, I've never gotten more than three out of us of my suitcase. Really? Yeah. Okay. I've, I think that's about, I've never, I've never gotten the four, like my, my sequencer can drive up the four voices at once. I've never done that yet. That's crazy. Cause I've, t- I have two, three channel outputs and I would say, you know, I'm, I'm, all, I'm always up to like five. I double a lot of my yeah. outputs into different effects. Yeah. Though. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's something that I've been kind of toying around with is, is exactly that. Like maybe I, cause I have like one, two, I mean, I've, I've so many, I've like four different voices in this right now. Maybe that's, or maybe five. I don't know. Yeah, the angle grinder, One, the three, four, five, six. So I have six in here, and if you count the the disting as you know, oh it, sure, it could yeah. Be, so I could have that's just way too many, and one. Um, it could be. I mean, the angle grinder it can it can go into LFO rates. Yeah, and do some quadrature stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've been mostly using it that way. Um, but I guess I guess what. This has been very long-winded and very <laughs> tangential, but I, I, I just I wanted to really try to pick your brain and for the listener, you know, like just to hear like what you think about what the not the best way, but maybe a, a really efficient way of setting up your case, like you know. So we we, we you've covered utilities being a really yeah. important aspect of that. Uh, like muscle memory is really big big for me because i like to flail around a lot when i'm mm-hmm. playing yeah yeah you are the funnest person to watch it's, too it's <laughs> well like yeah like that's definitely a throwback to the rock days right uh-huh. like yeah, you yeah. jump around on stage and i played in some emo bands so that's what i did <laughs> and uh yeah like this way you're just like rooted in front of this box uh-huh and so all you can do is dance around like an idiot so <laughs> uh <clears throat> having knowing where your modules are and like having control schemes set up that don't require you to get really precise because that's so, I'm so bad at that at a live show. Like Mm -hmm. I don't, you can't really heal yourself very well when you're playing live. Right. And, uh, so removing any capability of like hitting a wrong note or just like doing something crappy sounding is a, is a big part of how I patch. Uh uh (laughs) So the quantizers help with that. Um, and yeah, the sequencer I'm using now, I can just literally just kind of like paw at it. (laughs) <laughs> and it makes something cool and, and it's just like, cool yeah it's it all comes down to your patching decisions i guess there but, but the other thing is too i like to have like the traditional synthesizer signal flow in yeah. my case like i like my oscillators on the left uh-huh. and my filters in the middle and like yeah. my envelope generators on the right just like a it's like a real synth uh-huh. and uh <laughs> So <laughs> that that has stayed true for like pretty much my entire career in synthesizers. So that that helps too. Okay. So that actually was a good segue into the next question is like when okay, when did you get into being a well I guess when did you get into music? Where it was and when did synthesizers come into play? Do you all did you go straight into synthesizers or were you a guitar guy for a while? Or? Yeah. I I think like uh, I mean, you can go back to like, yeah, I took piano when I was five or something, blah, blah, blah. I don't think that had a huge impact on my life. <laughs> but in junior high, uh, well, I was homeschooled 
for like until junior high. And then I was uh-huh. sent to kind of like a conservative Christian school. And uh, I would never have guessed that. Really? Based, no. Cause yeah, you're just a really <laughs> just, gregarious, easy guy to talk to and everybody loves you. Well, I've had a, <laughs> an, had an interesting life, yeah. but uh, <laughs> anyway, so I, I, I played in, in band, like jazz band and regular band. I played trombone. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that was fun. And then at some point, like when I was like 15, I think I decided to start playing bass. So I, I started playing bass and like was into punk, I think at the time, uh-huh. like MXPX yeah, and like yeah. bands like that. And so I played in those bands and then, uh, yeah, so that I did that throughout high school. I played in various guitar bands, making various kinds of emo or post-punk or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but I also played a lot of contemporary Christian worship music because oh. that's something you do a lot at a Christian school. Yeah. So, like, I um, I was exposed to a lot of emotional music that way, and 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 a lot of major key music, yeah. and a lot of really simple chord progressions, and. Uh, sort of these tricks that contemporary Christian artists were doing to get people more emotionally involved in the music. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I, and then out, out of high school, I went and did some other things. I, you know, I worked at guitar center. I went to community college. I went, ended up going to Columbia college in Chicago for uh-huh. audio production. But, um, I, I didn't get into synthesizers until I was out of high school. Okay. I was in, it was in 2003 or 2004. I got an MS 2000, and, uh, nice. that was my first synth and I, I wanted to, I've heard so many guitarists tell me the same thing since this, then <laughs> this happened, but I wanted to have a synthesizer next to me while I played my stringed instrument uh-huh. and I wanted it to like play a pattern or a sequence or something while I played my stringed instrument. Uh-huh. And, I, and, and I was hoping the MS 2000 would do that. Um, the MS 2000 had like a step sequence, like a 16, tr- uh, step, step sequencer on it, which I had no idea what that was. Uh-huh. And so it could like sort of do that, but not at all in the way that I was imagining. Right. But it took me down a different path entirely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then I started getting some other random synthesizers and, um, I was, my friends and I started a synth band called Scenic Square. And so that went on for a good while after high school. This is Chicago. This is, um, Peoria, Illinois. Oh, okay. Um, and so, yeah, I didn't move into Chicago until like 2007. So okay. it was like a few years there where I had this band with my friends and it was, um, two guitarists and two, and, and my friend Jason played the Rhodes and synthesizers and I played the bass and synthesizers. Okay, cool. So there was no drummer. Um, and we had drum machines instead and it was very, uh, like very radiohead atmospheric kind of style music. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it really, it, it introduced me to the world of like playing, um, playing synths in a larger sort of context. So we used a sequencing program called Numerology to run all of our synthesizers. And it was a really complex sequencing program. It was for Mac, and it's still being made. And um, it allowed you to, to, to kind of patch your sequencers together and make really complex patterns. Okay. And, um, excuse me. and so I learned from that um, that I, I really enjoyed really complex patterns that were... Um, interlocked with each other kind of in a canon style like um yeah like handle <laughs> uh-huh. you know our traditional sort of classical music does a lot but um there was no way to do that in hardware at the time really so that you know a laptop was driving all of our music then and uh and then when i went to went to columbia i got my first modular which was a paya frac rack 
modular. Okay. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was what, and what year is crappy. this? It was 2008. Okay, so you were like right at the beginning of the this resurgence. Kind of, yeah. I mean, like, Dofer came out in 99. Right. So, right. like, even I, you know, even at that time, it was still like a, almost a decade later. Uh-huh. Um, but, yeah, they're... they're they were just like American companies were just starting to get into it. Like mm-hmm. Scott Yeager was just starting to to mess around with his early designs right. and Tony Rolando did the, the modded mix and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I had this frack rack system <laughs> it didn't work very well. Yeah. And I was just like, all right, this isn't that great. So I got rid of that and I got a mono machine, I think. Okay. Um, but then later I moved back to Peoria, Illinois and I started, um, I started working for suit and tie guy a little bit, like doing some soldering and stuff like that. And, uh, so through that, I, oh no, actually the first module I got was Josh Hawley. I won a contest to make a, a, uh, a theme song for Maleko. Uh-huh. So I like came up with this rap song <laughs> and I somehow won the contest. Is that, can we access this in any, in any way? I probably have it on my, my phone you somewhere. You gotta like, send it to me. I got okay. it injected into this episode. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was pretty good. I think uh, I think my finest line from the rap song was on the Grant Richter scale. They're a nine point oh. <laughs> did you I rap it? I did <laughs> yeah. very poorly, and, and I didn't have a modular, so I tried to make modular noises with my mouth, and uh, so that was in there. So that won me the contest and got me my first Eurorack module, which was a noise ring. Oh, nice! And I still have that and use it pretty heavily. Yeah. Oh, Maleko. Let's get Megastar up on this wiggler. Maleko, how low can you go? Make it sound like an avalanche of iron and blow. Weird and originals, yo. On the Grant Richter scale, they're a 9.0. T-Crunk is bringing the flows, but Holly's got the knobs that make it curl your toes. When you need a hit of your erect bliss, reach for a gargoyle, make your shit sound like this. Rah, 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 rah. Me, no, no, no. Maleko, Maleka, Heine, 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 Maleko, Maleka, Heine, 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 Maleko, Maleka, Heine, 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 Maleko. And then from there, yeah, I built a bunch of my own stuff at Suits. Um, a friend built me a case, and that, so 2000, uh, two, end of 2009, beginning of 2010, was when I started my Eurorack system. And, uh, and like I think I did my first gig in like 2011 as Donald Crunk. Okay. So it was it was pretty rough. Pre-election. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Very <laughs> very much. Um, yeah. It was it was pretty rough for a while. <laughs> Dude, I feel like yeah, I feel like I've played two like okay live sets so far, and they're my last two. Like I feel like I'm you, just now. Great. Thank yeah. you. I feel like I I'm just now getting to it, which which makes me like I want to ask and. This is kind of an on-the-spot question, and I feel like it may require more thought than just, you know, right now, but gross. Um, (laughs) Starting in 2008-ish, 2007-2008-ish, you know, you've got 10, let's just say you've got 10 years now of patching. Has there been any one thing or a couple of things where you've, you've just aha moments that you've locked in your head that made just patching something up easier or, or are there any kind of guidelines you follow as far as whether you're writing for a song to record or 
setting up a live patch? Uh, I don't. I don't know that there's any strict. Like you kind of fall into the ruts that you've already made for yourself, no right. matter what you do. So, I think, uh, yeah, I just kind of do what I like to do anyway. But there, there's definitely some things that have changed since when I started patching. Um, I was into like kind of a more distorted, noisier sound then, mm-hmm. and uh, I think that's changed a lot. And what changed that is I just kind of discovered how sound works in a live venue a little bit differently than it does in your studio, mm-hmm. and I had to pay like a lot stricter attention to gain staging especially in modular where every module has its own gain knob <laughs> uh-huh. and you can like get a really noisy thin sounding signal very easily in your rack sometimes mm-hmm. so i think like yeah that was a major discovery for me that keeping my signal chains pretty short my audio signal chains pretty short and um like watching my gain staging making sure everything is at kind of like the right unity level until it hits my final mixer that really uh, helped to kind of like make things sound better in a live context anyway. Whereas mm-hmm. at, I think my first few shows I played, it probably didn't sound very good at all. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that was like a big, like aha moment for me. Um, other than that, you know, like a lot of aha moments have come as new module designs have come out. Right. So there, yeah, patching was a lot different in 2010 than it is now for sure. But um, the principles are all the same, you okay. know. But there just weren't very many digital modules, okay, if any. All right. I, so I got a, I, I got a good question for you, maybe. So in in the Euro, in the Eurorack world or the modular world, there's there's a there's a lot of get and get, you know, get mm. and give away, trade. I got this. I spent this much time with it. I think most people, myself included, maybe get rid of modules before they actually know if they should get rid of them. Um, before they get to know them, how much time, it, just in general, because like, it's definitely going to be from module to module, but mm-hmm. like, how often do you kind of like refresh, like hit refresh on your case? Pretty frequently these days. Yeah. Uh, it was locked in for a while. Like for a couple of years there, I was just like static. Mm-hmm. And then, um, and it also depends on like how much money you have available, That's, right? Yeah. <laughs> so I wasn't making a lot of money, so I didn't make too many changes to my case. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, that that also helps you like you know develop a pretty good set because you're like stuck with the same stuff so mm-hmm. you you kind of work with what you have. But uh, I've been hitting refresh a lot lately because there's just so many cool modules that have come out yeah. and uh, I want to try them. So I think what I do when that happens is uh, I I tend to get overwhelmed if I put them in even my seven U case and uh, I start going on different tangents and like, Oh, what if I did this? And then it turns into some music or something. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, I'm, I should be exploring this module. Yeah. Not making music. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a funny thing to say. But so what I typically do then is I take my new modules and put them in a really small case. Like I have here with like a 54 HP size lunchbox. Mm-hmm. And that helps me to really pay direct attention to the, the new modules and really characterize them and how they're going to work, what kind of voltages they put out, what they expect at their inputs, and what sort of control voltages and audio sources work well with them. Mm-hmm. And that that is really important that you do that when you get a new module because, like, otherwise you're just kind of, like, flailing, like, kind of just shooting shooting into the blue. I don't know what yeah, you would say. Yeah, no, I, I'm <laughs> with you, man. I totally I, – I try to be a little bit more – um, strict with myself. One thing I will say that's been really beneficial is uh, sp- having sponsorships through certain companies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if 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 we have a deal where I'm going to try to you know show people how cool their product is and everything, and 
you know, in exchange, they give me that piece of gear, then I, I owe it to the quality of the show and I owe it to them as a company to try to do as good as I can, Absolutely, you know, which makes me learn how to use. So I almost have this kind of thing built in because I don't know that I would spend the time if I was just trying to fuck off. Sure. So for my personality type, it's good to have some sort of rigid built in place. Yeah. That's, that's, and I, I sort of treat live shows kind of like that too. It's like, Uh there's, there's your deadline. There's what you have to, you have to, either characterize the module or, or, you know, figure out what you're doing. And I think you do, you need that kind of like incentive. Otherwise this is such a playground that you can get lost in for hours. And right. I think, I think so for the listener out there who maybe is looking for, for tips and, and I feel like there's always the question of, you know, what module should I get or what kinds and, and all, I think there's no real answer to this, but I think, I think what you do, if you're, if you're say you're not performing and you're not, you know, making demos, if you're just trying to do it, just learn how to do it. I think your method of putting new modules into a tiny case and just spending time rather than try to make noise with them, try to understand them might be a really good practice to fall into yeah. for people out there who are just getting their feet wet. Absolutely. And then you can't, you know, you can make music with it. You can like, you know, even if it's a kind of a small system, like you can make really beautiful music with small, simple systems. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, you can, you can really, I think, Small systems are great for just really focusing on what whatever it is that you're doing, mm-hmm. whether that's characterizing a new module or making some kind of like simple music or traveling. Um, it's so much less of a hassle to travel with this little thing than it is yeah. like a full suitcase. <laughs> yeah. So that that was my first experience with this. I built this suitcase or this little lunchbox when the DPO first came out, mm-hmm. and I wanted to explore the DPO, and uh, so I put a DPO in here, an Optimix, and two functions. And that was sort of like my mini easel. And I was like 2012. And I took that on a, on a trip with me. And it was it was wonderful. Like I, I just had such a great time first exploring what it could do and then recording music with it all mm-hmm. in that same trip. And it was just a really a great experience. That's awesome. So, yeah, I've, I've tried to bring that back. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think the um, – yeah. The the rule is, is like – or not rule um, – I had something. I forgot what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> practice makes perfect. There we go. Yeah. Um, so when you're making a patch for a modular on the spot set, when the show's Saturday, when do you start building that patch? Uh, yeah, that, that varies. And it really, if I'm doing a good job, it starts at least a month before. A month. Okay. Yeah. And then That's I, and then I want to get at least so three run throughs recorded. Uh-huh. Oh, okay. So I, I typically will do a full 25 or whatever. I do. I want to do the whole set dry runs. Uh huh. So like my day job is I'm a test engineer. So <laughs> it, there's a lot of crossover with what I do because I have all this testing that I have to do. And, uh, if I mess it up, then it costs a whole bunch of money uh-huh. to, to redo the test. So I often do dry runs and practice runs before I do the test. So it's, I sort of applied that to, to the modular thing. And I, okay. I, I try to record as much information as possible when I'm doing them so I can look back with a critical eye and say, like, no, that was stupid. You should, or you should emphasize this. And then I don't like referring to a piece of paper, like a set list. Like, yeah. That bothers me. So what I've done instead is to, like, take uh, – 
masking tape and put it around the borders of my case. And then I write my show notes on that masking tape. Oh, nice. So it kind of acts like a heads up display for my case. Like I can really see without taking my eyes off the modules too much, like what kind of a general idea of what I want to, how I want to structure the set Mm -hmm. and have at least a few little reminders um, of what I kind of want to emphasize or what I want to do. Okay. So okay. That, that's part of it is I, I add notes to the, that tape as I do the run-throughs. Okay. And then, but there's a lot of times when life gets in the way and mm-hmm. you just don't have that all that time. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, I've played a lot of shows like that too. Yeah. Some of them went, re- went really well, but it's a little bit more of a crapshoot when that happens. So yeah. I try to, try to get some practice in. But. Yeah, before I got no modular and I would do like live sets as just like you know, me and like booking shows and mm-hmm. trying to pull off like half hour, 45 minute sets with Ableton and guitars. And since I would do the same thing or try to when I had time and, and record them and then I'd listen to them at work or something, yeah. you know, like how does this part need to be shortened yep. or length? And, um, I want to do that with modular. Um, and I, I kind of do that as much as I can, but I always end up what always happens is the week before I start, I got to work on my patch this weekend. I got a show this weekend. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like what's, what's cool is, is our, our community, there's so many badasses in it that it really inspires me to try to be as good as I possibly can at this instrument. Like, mm-hmm. like you and Sean, Dark Side of the Tune, mm-hmm. um, my uh, David Lutz. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah. watching you, like, if I'm on the bill with any of you guys or, I mean, there's, there's a bunch of them. Those are just the first people that come to mind. Yeah. Um, that, that really does inspire me to try to do as, as good as I can. You know, like, can I get as much out of this as I can? But I'll build it like a week before. I'll have all this stuff swirling around in my head about, I got to try to hang with these guys. And I ended up, I get to Tuesday night and I tear it apart because <laughs> I fucking hate it. Like, I just, oh my God. It's just like, I've. There's something about like doing it. You can like take it too far. Like, mm-hmm. dude. Just just take the patch like too far, and then you're and then yeah, like I totally get that. I, lo- I lose the through line every time. Like whatever that was, whatever the spirit was yeah. at the beginning, it gets lost because I get too complicated with it. Yes, yeah. yeah, that happens to me a lot too. I don't. I usually don't like pull all the way down to the root, <laughs> uh-huh. but I do start you know un- unplugging patch cables and saying like maybe I should make this change during the set like maybe i should plug this cable in during the set and like create that variation there instead of like trying to make it so complicated out of the gate i can add that variation during the set instead mm-hmm. um but yeah that's that's like a problem for me as well uh overcomplicating and getting frustrated with your sound and then not having a good patch yeah <laughs> that's been having the last two nights like i've got i've i've just got some demos i need to make for the show mm-hmm. and i want it i want them to be interesting because i I'm, I'm not the most technically savvy guy so i, I need to have something that that kind of gives i can't hang with mylar and div kid mm-hmm. on what they can you know explain about how a module works i just i don't know i don't have that capacity um so i try to hang with people who are you know way better you know like at that aspect so i feel like my thing i want to do is try to make interesting sounding patches so i put it like this last two nights i've just been like oh <laughs> fuck like i just hit these i hit these walls and it's weird because i'll have the same setup for months and one night it'll be magic and i'll be like fuck dude i'm i'm good at this you know and i'll start kind of like yeah, yeah cool. you know, and, stre- and then like two days later i'll be like i can't make something like it's embarrassing i, I get frustrated i'm just like i fucking suck at this. <laughs> um, so after 10 years does that still happen to you 
Yeah, no, all crazy. the time. I and, and I still bomb sets too. So it's <laughs> like it definitely happens, and it's good to be taken down a rung every now and then. Yeah, like it really is. <laughs> well, yeah, it'll, it'll keep keep you honest in that whole like that spirit of the of our community being like a non egotistical driven. Something I've been thinking about a lot lately is as it's getting more more and more popular, and as more and more people are coalescing around it will that feed into the darker side of something like this? And I know I have it cause I was in there with like the rock band thing and I, yeah. I hate that aspect of myself and I really don't want that to get, it fueled. really comes down to the people involved. Doesn't yeah. it? It's just mm-hmm. like if, if somebody makes a decision to, to start being an asshole, then I think the darkness will follow. Yeah. <laughs> it'll ripple throughout the whole thing. It will. Yeah. And there, you know, but, uh, I think that it hasn't yet. And for whatever reason, and, so we should just enjoy that yeah. while it lasts. <laughs> but I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I've not been in a scene that's, that's had like a bunch of drama and a bunch of people that are, yeah, I, I can't think of a, an example from, from any other scenes that I've been a part of in Chicago. Um, the modular scene there was really different when I, when I first started, it was very like we had these meets in a guy's loft and they were amazing. And everyone was so excited about this new thing. And uh, there would be like a show sometimes at the end of the meet. But other than that, there weren't really many, many concerts being put on. And and the scene itself was pretty, pretty fractured. We'd get together for those events. Mm-hmm. And um, I think the, the scene has grown quite a bit in Chicago now. But there was never like this extra element of having a show, a regular show, where everyone, we all get together and we all kind of like hang out. And, uh, so there was never, yeah, there was never the chance for that kind of drama to develop because people never, speaking for myself, never, uh, socialized as much as we tend to here. Right. So, yeah, I think maybe that's, that's helping everyone's kind of an adult for the most part. Like, <laughs> <That's> true. <laughs> there's not a lot of like super young people drama, mm-hmm. um, so that's that's a factor. I yeah, think. I've, I actually thought about that too. I'm like, oh, we're all like responsible adults we're with all jobs. Like grown, like that's probably grown ass people. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's a big part of it too. Is like, yeah, we just want to like enjoy ourselves yeah. and not have to deal with drama. Yeah, so we just don't create it. Hear that, guys? Don't create drama. Don't create drama. Um. So speaking of being an adult and, and having a five year old son. <laughs> Has do you get him on the on the modular? Is he into it? Is a little it, bit. Like yeah. he's not. Yeah, he's not super uh, adapted anything yet. But I I try to like install the modules that um, I feel like children would be into. Like I have a plain R two joystick here in this system. He uh-huh. loves he loves yanking that around. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, the breath controller module I yeah. got from Pulp Logic. He likes blowing on that, and you can see his face light up when he hears it through his headphones. Like whoa. Uh huh. Um, and, uh, yeah, like he, he enjoys it, but he's not, he's not like super into it and I'm not super pushing him either. Yeah. I, that's always like something I always wondered about how I would handle that when I was a dad. Like, am I going to try to push my kid into music? And I've decided not to. <laughs> yeah. I've thought so, about that too. Yeah. And that's, I guess like you got to strike the balance of providing them opportunities to do the things they want to do and also not pushing them too far in any one direction. Mm-hmm. So at least that's my philosophy. So yeah, I haven't 
you know, I haven't shoved it down his throat. He has he has stuff he can play. He likes the Mono Tribe, the Cork Mono Tribe. Yeah, I think that's a great like synthesizer for kids. Yeah, and for sure. the knobs are just encrusted with peanut butter now, <laughs> thanks to him. So, yeah, five might be a little too young for for modular. I've tried to get my nephew into it, and yeah, he likes to patch, but he's not patching anything sensible. You right, know, he yeah. just wants to he just wants to plug stuff in. Same, yeah, same with my nephew. <laughs> so my plan with my kid is, I want them to be into music. But so I'm going to make have a, a room that they're not allowed in that just has cool drum sets Ooh. and tool guitars and just be like, do not go in there. And then when they're like 16, I'll be like, you can go in oh, there. And then, <laughs> Hopefully they'll be so starving <laughs> for that room. No, I'm just kidding. That's not at all. My uh, drum sets. Yeah, kids <laughs> universally seem to enjoy banging on things. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, yeah, drum sets are, are yeah. huge. <laughs> um, now you, you're. Your day job, and we can edit this out. I don't know how much you can talk about, but you just kind of finished something pretty significant and super secret. Uh, that's maybe not super secret it's not anymore. Super secret. It's just yeah, I can't. You know, um, I work in aerospace, and uh, I. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't have to cover this at all. But I, I feel like it's interesting, and if you can or want to talk about any of it. Um, I think it'd be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I, we, the company I work for makes actuation systems, things that move on Mm -hmm. airplanes and helicopters. And so I just, yeah, we just are kind of tying up a big project, um, for a, for a new kind of helicopter that's out there. And so we just, we just, uh, are finishing up that work and it's, yeah, it's great. Um, it's, it's a different world. It's, it's, it's a little bit harsher world in many ways, <laughs> but uh, it's taught. There's so much crossover with the synthesizer world, and what I do is like a, an engineer in that world. Mm-hmm. Uh, I use oscilloscopes all the time. There's waveforms constantly. There's it's all the same stuff. That's and, crazy. Yeah, and it's it's. I really wouldn't be there without synthesizers. Uh, DIY like got me into learning how to solder. I think, and then from there I was like, oh, I want to learn how to to design circuits. And, mm-hmm. and so I taught myself all that stuff before I even moved out here and then, uh, moved out here and found a pretty amazing job doing all these amazing things. And it, it was literally because of synthesizers. That's crazy. And it's, it's crazy to hear how you were speaking about it earlier, how that job has informed kind of your approach to patching. Absolutely. That is, that's really cool. Yeah. I've learned a lot there that, it, that I've, I've tried to, to, to bring into music and not all of it's applicable. <laughs> <laughs> but but just the idea of how to deliberately structure something uh-huh. is uh, yeah it's been it's been cool sweet man we're burning through this time but I still have a few more things I want to ask you about totally. so I guess we'll before we get into the patch I want to close on your um, I'm looking over at my cassette my cassette collection because I have uh, Pacific Pivot mm-hmm. over there which is your recently released album so I'm kind of con- uh, curious um, how do you approach record like writing for recording that has changed a lot like uh since i had a kid so you yeah when you're single or when you're just you know when you don't have a kid it's uh you've got more time to to kind of concentrate on that stuff and Mm -hmm. in my case that meant multi-track recording and um kind of more deliberate song structures and stuff like that and uh that I really never had the chance to like kind of recreate that world and sit down and do that again for a few years now. So what I've been doing instead is, is uh, I'll come home and patch something up and I'll record a stereo output of my mixer or my whatever. And, uh, 
and either it's good or it's not. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and so I have a lot of those after like that album was about two or three years worth of that. Okay. So I just like you know, I made a first pass through all those recordings and, and broke it down to like, here's 40 recordings that I like. And then I made another pass and then I decided, all right, here's what I want to do. And so I, then I just kind of tried to make a little structure of an arrangement, a flow or whatever out of the, okay. that music that I selected. And uh, I really wanted it to not be very much filler material. Right, right. <laughs> so I wanted it to be like a lot of like melodic stuff. So that's, yeah, that's what I ended up with. But you can tell that it's not multi-tracked and it's very kind of spur of the moment um, stuff. It's not improv, but it's also not super deliberate multi-tracked. Okay. So. Yeah, I was going to ask about the multi-track because it wasn't, you know, totally apparent to me. But I, I kind of guess that just by the way I've, I've seen you work live, I just kind of assumed that you had your way that you liked recording that was efficient to get a, a piece out of your yeah your set. and that's it and it's just to and like that helps with the live set too because i'm i'm doing exactly the same things that i'm doing in a live set i'm doing them for recording okay so it's it's you know i'm never changing what i'm doing based on the situation that i'm in so I'm always those just two doing things, the same thing those two things aren't aren't separated in your your artist brain no and a lot of the a lot of the music from there from practice runs that i did before shows Okay. So okay. yeah, like uh, a f- couple of the songs are from the practice runs that I was doing before the first module on the spot. So that was yeah, there are a couple in there. Are any from your their recovery room session? Um, I remember that for some reason that set in particular was really f- fucking badass. I, think the, I don't have any from like the actual live shows themselves, but if from the practice beforehand, I yeah. think there might be something in there. Okay, yeah. cool. I was also hanging out with my friend Lucy before that, so that could have definitely made it a little more interesting but um, <laughs> um well dude thanks for coming on i'm gonna get you a adjective and a noun which i should have had set up before you got here but that's all right edit this out do you have anything um you want to scream from the modular rooftops before we go uh just support your local scene like actually just get up and support other artists. Make sure you're supporting other artists and not always thinking about yourself. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Which I think most people don't. Yeah. I like that. I, yeah, there's, there's other towns that don't, aren't blessed with the scene that we have here in Seattle and any town could be really. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it comes down to people, um, just getting it done. So totally. And, and, just as as a bystander watching how um, Josh and Bradley did it, mm-hmm. um, they're just they're just a couple of guys yeah. who had an idea and they were like, "We're gonna try this," and it it's been hugely successful. So like, you may be sitting out there, and be like, "Well, who? I mean, I can't start. I'm not. I'm not rodent. I'm not Banna Hafar. I can't just start." It's like, yeah, they just started it. You yeah. can. You can if the, if there are people around, if there are ten people around to start doing it, you'll notice people come out of the woodwork. Absolutely. Yeah. And then people will be inspired by what you're doing and then they'll want to do it too. And it'll become this whole thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I, I think that's that's great advice. Just get out there and do it. I'm trying this thing is not generating anything cool. <laughs> the communist chair? No, come on. <laughs> that's not I don't uh, know what that would say. Ideological like. foreigner? No. <laughs> No. <laughs> it's, it's getting political. Yeah, this is getting weird. Satisfied thumb. <laughs> um, damn, this is really not. Uh, no. 
delightful symbol. How's that? Delightful, like symbol as in the drum symbol or no, a symbol as in a symbol? Like it as in a symbol. Yeah. Delightful symbol. Okay. We can keep going if you want. No, that's fine. All right, I'll, sweet. I can run with that. All right, well, we'll pause here. I'll give you 15 minutes and we'll be back. All right, let's look at this dual audio playback with Z speed on the Disting Mark IV by Expert Sleepers. So basically, this is a sampler, and you can play two different samples off of it. There's two different inputs for your trigger, two different outputs for each sample. You can also pan them uh, to make each one come out of the its own individual output where you can center them and have each sample come out of each output. Um, what's really fun about this as well is this speed knob you can control manually or via CV and you can fix the speed of uh, a particular sample to where um, the knob and the CV no longer affects it. That can be very useful. Um, but let's bring one of these samples up right now. Nice kick drum. And we'll bring up the next sample, some hi-hat action. So I don't have either of these fixed, so the speed knob will, can, uh, will affect both of them. that's pretty fun but it's much more enjoyable to control that speed via cv so i've got an lfo from the angle grinder uh Schlappy engineering and we're gonna put uh, a nice sine wave lfo into the speed you can mess with that speed knob manually to uh, change how the uh, CV going into it interacts with the samples. I like that right there. That's pretty cool. at expertsleepers.co.uk to learn more about the Disting Mark IV. All right, so that was your time. Delightful symbol. I'm always curious. What was that? Uh, what is the process like with the whole with the time limit? Is it scary? Is it stressful? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, you know, you don't patch under a time limit too often mm -hmm. unless you're doing a fact mag thing or something like <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Um, more trying to like figure out what to do with adjectives. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> that's the challenge. Yeah. I'm always curious of, uh, what was the thought process behind, behind the words? Like how some people try to get, get the words in essence or they, some people actually go as far to picture like a, a particular word as like, okay, that will be this sequence or this module or sure uh delightful to me just says like major key right yeah <laughs> so i'm just like yay uh that's what i do anyway <laughs> so that and then uh symbol like a symbol is like 
That's that's a very that's a difficult one. Yeah. You know, but uh symbology I don't know. We'll just have to see how that one works itself in afterwards, yeah. maybe. Yeah. Symbol is is I guess like the the mutable instruments module modules I'm using have a lot of symbolism involved. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Right? You know, there's 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 a lot of art that she uses that I think is very symbolic of her mm-hmm. philosophy and her design philosophy. But that's not really anything to do with me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what she did. So yeah. Um yeah, we'll have to see how I did with symbol. But delightful, I think I can handle. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when I saw that pop up, I was like, "Oh, he can do that." <laughs> get you delightful anyway. <laughs> um, one thing before before we get in uh, into it, we don't have to get into this a lot, but um, your name, Don, your performing name, Donald Crunk. Right. You, I, I think you've had some pushback on, and I think I've even been like, "Are you going to change your name now?" And but the way you explained to me why you're not going to actually, you changed my mind. So what are your <laughs> what are your thoughts on on this? Uh, so yeah, like I, yeah, it's a name I came up with a very long time ago, and it was because I felt that people that were making this kind of music were taking things really seriously, like ambient melodic uh-huh. stuff. They're just like, Oh, super serious. And it's just still like that, by the way. <laughs> but, um, I wanted to make sure that my moniker that I was playing under was not that. Uh-huh. And I wanted it to be like openly just like a really goofy thing. And so like a long time ago, I had made up a fake rapper name called Donald Kronk for myself uh-huh. like pre like, you know, like early two thousands or something. And so I, I just like dusted that off for uh, my synth solo career. Uh-huh. It had good Google ability. <laughs> yeah. And it was pretty funny to me because Donald Trump was kind of a clown. And, uh-huh. and I was just like, all right, here's this clown out here doing stuff. Uh-huh. And then, yeah. And then like it, it kind of turned into a whole thing. Now yeah. he's the fucking president. Yeah. So he, uh, yeah, no, my philosophy behind it is that like, um, I've had this name for a long time and I'm just going to keep using it and I'm going to outlast his presidency. Uh-huh. <laughs> so I'm just going to continue forward. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, every once in a while somebody pushes back and, and wants to make some sort of assumption or whatever, you know, yeah. um, definitely does not reflect my personal politics. Right. I have this name. Uh, I thought it was a great name. I still think it's kind of funny, but it, it, it also has its own momentum, <laughs> right? Right. So I'm not gonna, <laughs> not gonna change it for just because that guy's a huge asshole. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. So Donald Crunk is better than Donald Trump. Yes. And uh, <laughs> that's going to continue to be the case. <laughs> All right. I love it. Um, and thanks again. And people can get your uh, your new album on Bandcamp. Bandcamp, yes. Cassettes are still available. Okay. Please buy them. <laughs> DonaldCrunk.bandcamp.com. Correct. Yes. Sweet. All right, let's check out this uh, delightful symbol. Thank you. 
you jason for uh being a guest on the show it was a lot of fun thank you for sharing your maleko song with us i think everybody's gonna enjoy that a lot and uh yeah thank you all for listening if you'd like to help out the show go to patreon.com forward slash podular modcast um check out the expert sleepers disting mark four don't forget to check out after later audio and uh subscribe to way magazine until next week <laughs>